Hey, my friends, are you thinking about starting your own podcast? If you are, Anchor is the way to go. Anchor is a platform that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. It also will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on your Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. It's also a platform where you can make money, but yet it is a free tool to use. It's everything you need to make a podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Dear brothers and sisters, welcome back to another podcast for I Need Answers. I can't believe we're actually doing this. This is the second episode. For those of you who do not know, we're making a podcast for the book, the amazing book, I should say. It's an amazing book for I Need Answers. Like I said in the last episode, this podcast is really made for, think of it like a a book club, if you will. But, you know, having a book club with yours truly, the author, to talk about certain points and certain aspects of the book that I thought needed a little bit more explanation and to go over some of the discussion questions that you're going to find in the book. Again, I'm going to assume that you've already uh, bought the book. If you haven't, please do so because you'd get a lot more out of this podcast if you've already read it. And before I forget, please also take some time to uh, comment on Amazon if you like it. If you don't, please please don't comment. (laughs) But at the end of the day, uh, yeah, so let's get to it because we have a lot to talk about. But before we begin anything, it's only appropriate that we take a second to to pray and, and to ask God to help us and guide us through the services that we're giving. Let's gather our thoughts for prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Holy, holy, holy is your name. Our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, thank you for giving us this day. Thank you for giving us this time to talk about this book. And we ask that people are able to learn something from the episode which we've organized for today. We ask that you bless the people listening to this podcast. We ask that you bless their day, their family, and all of their loved ones. And I ask you, God, to give me the ability to speak. Use me as a vessel and accept the services that I offer up unto you. And our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ's name, through the intercession of the most holy Theotokos, the mother of God, and of all the saints, for blessed are you unto ages and ages. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and get started. We have a lot to talk about. Today, I just wanted to start by talking about the preface and... I think I'm going to take my time with this. Initially, when I was thinking about doing a podcast, I was thinking like one episode of a podcast per section or chapter, if you will. But the preface is a bit long and and it kind of it's going to set you up for the book. Uh, Hopefully you've read the book and you and if you have, you would even know that the preface has a different feel to it from the rest of the book. There's not like I don't put a lot of jokes. I try to keep keep it formal. And it feels very different and it was intended to do that because it's not really part of the book, but it is the material that I use in order to set you up and and, and put you in position for the beginning of the book. 
So it's kind of the background of why, again, I, I kind of talked about that last time, but really here I get into it a little bit in detail of like why we're even here. How did we get here? And by here, I mean, how did we come to a region where we have, you know, so many young people leaving the church and this is the first book of its kind out there to help people understand about their faith. So it's, it's again, kind of setting you up and helping you understand the long struggle that we had to endure in order to make this happen. I started the preface by uh, giving a lot of imagery and a detailed explanation of how I was going into the church when I was young and my early memories. And that was done intentionally to hopefully uh, if you haven't been to an Ethiopian Orthodox auto church, you can get a feel of like what it is like. And if you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That early Sunday morning running into the church uh, so that, you know, the doors are not like you, you know exactly what I'm pulling on. And, and that was done intentionally to help you feel like like this church is amazing it's like our mother and, and, and all the good memories the good memories and i quickly transition over to my experience in america obviously because that's where a large portion of my life was spending a large portion of my experience with the church is here in america i went to church at um the famous the dc Maram church uh, it's been around for a very long time, and I started going there when I was like maybe eight or nine years old, which is a long time ago. I'm not going to tell you how long. <laughs> and immediately, I established some great, amazing friends. I mean, these friends, I still talk to this day. Uh, to this day, I remember actually, there was like a, a, a few period in our life where we didn't talk every day and we didn't see each other for a long time. And after... About a decade or so, I saw them and they're all grown and, and some of them are bald now and old and I felt better about my receding hairline after looking at them. Uh, but it, it was amazing to see that after all these years, we were able to pick up exactly where we left off and we were able to talk and, 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 and be in tune like we were before. And that was an amazing thing. That was a bond that was created, you know, from the church. Like the church, I read, like Sundays would be the time where we would hit kabaro, sing mazmurs, we would do plays, all these sort of activities. And like I said, it was also a place where, well, like it or not, we established some, some friends. Now, this is where my first, I guess you can say, frustration comes about. It's when I hear people who've you know, spent, it could be a year, two, three years, a, a part of their childhood within the Ethiopian Orthodox Sohado Church. And then for what reason or another, after leaving, they only have negative things to say about the church. Or they would say something to the effect of, there's nothing for me at the church, or I don't need the church. I find that, mm, I'm trying to be on my best behavior today. I find that extremely frustrating. And I say that because, so the church is obviously a place of worship, but it is also a place of community. Like I said, we've established some great friends, like at the church, if you're in the DC area and, 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 and 
you went to DC Mariam or Mikhail or whatever, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like we played basketball there. We, we, you know, we, 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 uh, what is it? We played with Pokemon cards. You know what I mean? Like we, we have some great memories that we've established at this church. We've talked about girls, so let's be honest. That's where, you know, we, we learn how to pick up game and, and do all that. Now, I'm not saying I'm not proud of that, but good or bad, it was a place of memory. You know, I recall back in high school, there was a small we used to go to and, and we would post up thinking we were all cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just stand there. We thought we were the coolest people in the world. And... For whatever reason, the mall was being remodeled. And I remember thinking, they're like destroying our memory, right? Because it was like, the, like oh, remember that spot? That's when this, 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 this happened. Oh, remember that spot? That's when this happened. And we were always like, um, talk about the different memories that we created at the mall. Now, this is a mall. Imagine the type of memories that was created at the church. Literally, the church raised us. It's like a mother, um, you know? It, the mother does its best. She does her best in order to raise her child, and for that alone, she deserves recognition. And 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 whether you agree with the church, whether you believe with the ch in the church, is a secondary issue for me. But just because the church was there as we were growing up, whether you learn about God or not, is a secondary issue. There should be respect because you established great friends there. You laughed in the church. You cried in the church. You you played in the church. Uh, you've done all, all the things in the church. And just for that alone, I think the church deserves respect. You don't have to agree with it, but you do need to show reverence. Now, when I was going to the church, I was so fortunate and blessed enough to have an amazing Sunday school teacher uh, named Shemalis. And shout out to Shemalis, who held it down for years and years and years. And um, also shout out to Edist, uh, who I believe is living in Seattle, Washington at the moment. And the two were really kind of like the main figures in our life as we were growing up. And they played a major role for teaching Sunday school. Now, keep this in mind. In 2020, teaching Sunday school is kind of like expected. Like you expect that now. Because like you understand that there's a need to teach kids or whatnot. And you see a lot of people leaving the church. And what are we going to do? And of course, you're going to teach Sunday school. 20 years ago? The idea of Sunday school didn't exist. Like, nobody even thought about these things. So for Shemelis and Kedis, my Sunday school teachers, to step up at that time and sacrifice their time and dedicate their Sundays to come and teach us was historical, groundbreaking. For those of you who are not familiar with the Ethiopian Orthodox Auto Church, let me tell you, they're doing this work pro bono. They're not getting paid for this. So sacrificing hours and hours of their time to teach us hoodlums, you know, was amazing. And DC Mariam at the time was was also like we had hundreds and hundreds of kids that would come. And we were big, like we were popular. I remember going to uh, New York to visit some family. And then uh, on that Sunday, we ended up going to that local Ethiopian Orthodox Auto Church. And when we visited the Sunday school, they were asking, you know, the teacher asked, like, where are you guys from? And we were like... We're from D.C. And then they were like, oh, D.C. Mariam. Oh, D.C. Mariam. I felt like a celebrity. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, they knew about us. And that's how big we were. 
And that's because, again, we were blessed enough to have such an amazing Sunday school teacher. Unfortunately, however, when we reached about 10th grade or 11th grade or so, both of them, you know, they had like other responsibilities in their life and they weren't able to teach as often as they could. And suddenly they stopped coming. And that Sunday school, so for what, 10 years, 15 years, all I knew was Sunday you come and there's Shema or Qaddis and we learn Muzmur, we learn about the Bible. And suddenly that stopped. So the Sunday school suddenly changed into just a bunch of my friends hanging out and doing nothing. Like an entire Sunday would go without learning about God, without singing Muzmur. And that was a typical Sunday for us. That was amazing. Both in a good and a negative sense. Amazing. And I'm shocked because, you know, again, I've traveled around the country and I've seen different Sunday school programs. And I'm shocked to see that some, not all, not most, but some Sunday school classes are still like that. Unfortunately, Sunday school, especially back then, was seen as this place where you get to dump all your kids until liturgy was complete. (laughs) And it, it was, or much worse, it was a place where you could teach the kids Amharic. And for the life of me, I could never understand this. And for, you know, for all you skeptics out there who are listening, I do not have a problem with kids learning Amharic. I do not have a problem with the Amharic language. I do, however, have a problem with teaching Amharic on Sunday. Because I believe Sunday is the day of God. And I believe Sunday is the day of worship, not a day of language. You could teach kids Amharic on Saturday, Friday, whatever day you want. But Sunday is the day of God. How do you spend Sunday, the day of God, teaching kids a language instead of the gospel? And I remember this simple question, asking this simple question, almost got me crucified. It was, it was amazing. But that was the reality of what we were experiencing. And once Shemalis and Qaddis started slowing down in their, uh, you know, every Sunday teachings, uh, there was a gap. And I remember it was the Sunday school was just a big place where we got to come and chill and hang out and leave. And I write about this in the, in the book because it was a, a very important, you know, section of my life, a period of my life. Where I think, you know, it was the beginning of of something great and I didn't know it at the time. And I like to share this story and it's about how, you know, one particular Sunday, uh, our Sunday school teacher came in late. He didn't show up and we thought it would be like the other days where he wouldn't come. So we're all hanging out, you know, goofing off. And I, I remember I got in front of the, the podium and I, I began to kind of mock uh, the the teacher and now you know I was saying things like you know sit down be quiet and all this stuff and in comes Shimalis and I remember being shocked like oh snap it's about to go down right so I thought he was gonna yell at me or whatnot and luckily he didn't hear anything I said all he saw was me telling the kids to be quiet thinking that I was actually trying to teach and he he, he egged me he pushed me to keep teaching and i was like uh adam and eve were created by god and this that and the third and i said a few things and 
and I sat down and he actually commended me and, and, and congratulated me on my my desire to, to teach, <laughs> not knowing my true intentions. But I like to talk about this because number one, it's it, 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 it kind of, you know, again, this was kind of the beginning of something great uh, that God was was doing in my life. And it goes to show you that God works in mysterious ways. We don't understand the simple things that we kind of ignore. It's amazing how God uses these little opportunities that you may ignore, but he uses it for something greater. And I also learned something else that day. I learned two things. First, I learned that day that I had a part in the church. Up until that time, all I knew was I come to the church and I learn something, biblical quotes, mudsmud, and I go home. But that was the first time that whether my intentions were good or not is secondary again. I think I understood that I had the ability through God, if it was the will of God, to make a difference in that Sunday school class. Like if I was willing and God was willing, I can have a part in the Sunday school program. And that was something new to me because I didn't think I had a part in the church. I didn't think the church was for me. Again, it was just a, a place I come and I leave and I come and uh, I leave and that's it. And a second, perhaps the bigger lesson that I learned is like the operations of the church in terms of the people that are getting stuff done in the church is unfortunately dependent on a few people. And that's still true today. Uh, and I work with, you know, a lot of churches here in D.C. I'm a part of, of uh, YOTC, Young Orthodox Sahado Christians, and I participate in different groups. And you'll be surprised. And, and those of you who serve in the church know exactly what I'm talking about. Oftentimes, the people like these organizations or these groups or the, even at, at the church level, it's like two or three people that are doing the work. Unfortunately, most of us understand how big the church is. We understand that we need a church to worship in, but we're not willing to do anything to be a part of the operational side, the technical side, to the stuff that you know we need to do to keep the church active. I always talk about this. For example, you know, we talk about church services, and and I remember in the D.C. area when we talk about YOTC, Young Orthodox Sahara Christians. We have English services and people are always like, why don't you have more services? Why don't you have more services? Well, because it requires a lot of work and simple things like on the day of the service, you know, people come and sit down and leave. But people don't understand somebody had to get there and organize the chairs. Someone had to do that. People don't recognize. But when when the person teaching has a microphone, someone had to connect the microphone to the speakers and, and, and the mixer. and all. Someone had to do that job, right? So you can understand that there's not a lot of people willing to get their hands dirty and, and really participate in the service aspect. And I think, the, and, and this is kind of a call for whoever is listening to really step up and be part of the, the church is yours. The church is your, it belongs to you. Don't let anybody tell you it's not for you. It, it is for you. You have a place in the church to make a difference. And soon afterwards, I started teaching Sunday school in my church and I was getting ready to go to college. 
I was like in 11th grade or 12th grade or so. And I decided it's time. Hey, man, I'm about to, I'm about to go to college. And, and I knew what college was about. My attitude about college was very different because I've heard stories, you know, the college life. You're about to get lit. It's about to get down, you know. And inside, I was battling a very different fight. And that was my new desire, shall we call it, to serve the church, my new desire to teach within the church, and this new temptation that I knew I would face in college. These two opposite worlds were kind of like fighting with one another. Do I continue to teach and grow my spiritual life, or do I go to college and, you know, do I get lit? (laughs) And I remember after really, and I really like thought about this in detail, I eventually said, I'm going to pause my spiritual life and I'm going to continue it after I graduate from college. Because when I went to college, I just wanted to have fun. Like I understood and I was very serious about my academics and I did, I I like to think I did pretty well in college and I was, I was focused. I, I got my studies done, but when it comes to the the social aspect, the you know, the partying aspect. I didn't want anything to slow me down. I was gonna be four or five hours away from the DC area. I went to a school called Virginia Tech. Let's go. Hokies. There you go. Uh and this was like in the middle of nowhere. It's in the middle of the mountains. And so all all there is to do is literally party. That's it. It's a college town. So I didn't want this like attitude, like, you know, I wanted to be like everybody around me. So the only, only solution that I could come up with at that time was, you know, pause my spiritual life and then I would continue it after college. So when I went to college, I went with the mindset of, you know, wilding out. Or as you young people say, Getting turned up, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? I hope I use that expression correctly. I hope, I hope, you know. And actually, I talk about this in the preface, but there's a lot of things that was edited out from the first draft, like a lot. There was this one priest in particular in Boston who, when I sent it to him, he was like, oh, no, 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 no. You can't put this in because initially I was pretty detailed about my freshman experience, my freshman year experience. And I talked about a lot of things that I did. And the priest's attitude was, it would be distracting to your readers having read all the stuff that you've done and then going back and trying to give some advice. But my intent was, I wanted to share with you guys like who I am. And I'm not claiming that I was the best of the best or the worst of the worst. I was me. Like, this is my experience. And God forgave me and gave me a new beginning. And I wanted the readers to know wherever you are in your spiritual life and your spiritual journey, God will give you a new beginning as well. Like, I lived a different life. Again, I'm not claiming that I'm somebody else that I wasn't. This is my true story. And there are many people who could verify exactly the stuff that I've done and what I haven't done. But at the end of the day, God gave me a new beginning. And it was my way of letting the readers know, hey, man, I get it. Hey, I understand. I know exactly where you're coming from because I've been where you've been. At. And the temptations of this world 
is real. And I remember getting frustrated in college because all my life I've been told, don't you smoke, don't you drink, don't you fornicate, don't you party. But the church did absolutely nothing, I felt like, to prepare me for what college was about to tempt me with. How in the world was I supposed to fight the world of the temptations that it was going to provide me if I wasn't given the tools to do so? Now, I think ultimately in the preface, I decided to take out the details because I think the book still does that to an effect and it allows you to really get into the mindset of what I'm trying to say, which is, again, there is a new beginning. And, and, and trust me, I get how frustrating it is. And we do need to kind of, for the youth that are coming up and maybe getting ready to go to college, we need to equip them with the right tools that are necessary to combat some of these temptations. And the temptations are real. But when we talk about temptations, we also need to address the second aspect, which is the temptations of the world do have... The ability to change us. And some of us don't like to admit that. Let's be honest. We don't like to accept the fact that college life, the social aspect, has changed us in one way or another. Let me explain. Let's do an experiment real fast. And I ask you, take this, take this experiment seriously. Take a minute or so, if you have to pause the podcast or do something, and try to revisit your 10-year-old self. Really think about who you were when you were 10. Like your ideas, your values, your perspectives about the world, and and the things that you wanted to be when you grew up. Think about your 10-year-old self. And now imagine what your 10-year-old self would have to say to your 18-year-old self if they crossed paths? What would your 10-year-old self think about your 18-year-old self with the choices and decisions and actions that the latter is making? If you're honest with yourself, you would see that there's possibly a huge gap in attitudes and mindset and perspectives between your 10-year-old self and 18-year-old self. That's serious. Before you say anything else, I know exactly what you're thinking. Of course, they're supposed to be different. After all, 10-year-old kid is a 10-year-old kid, and then you're expected in this world to grow. And I agree with you. You're expected in this world to change your perspectives because if you're not, that means you're not growing and that in itself is a problem. I agree with you. But it's one thing to evolve and it's another thing to change. Let me explain. In 2002, around 2002, 2003, my parents bought a house in Norton, Virginia. It was the first house that they bought. And over the years, they started upgrading the house. So, you know, back then, wall-to-wall carpeting was in style. So then they removed the wall-to-wall carpeting. They moved on to hardwood. And then they painted the walls different colors. They removed the old uh, toilets. And then, and then they put a new one. And a few years later, they upgraded the balcony. And a few years later, they, they changed the windows. And a few you know, you get an idea. They upgraded the house to the point where the house really looks different. But at the end of the day, 
it's still the same house they bought in 2002. Wall-to-wall carpeting or hardwood, different paint colors of the walls versus the first type that it was. It's still the same house. But then in 2018, they had a talk with me and they, they told me that <laughs> they prefer to live with my brother in North Carolina because apparently they love him more. And they moved from D.C. to North Carolina, but then they sold their house in Lorton, Virginia. So the Lorton, Virginia house is sold and they move to North Carolina. Now, the house they're living in is in North Carolina. That house is essentially different than the house they bought in 2002. It's a different house. It didn't evolve. It changed. Now, that doesn't really matter. It's not problematic when we talk about the context of living in this world. But when we're talking about ourselves, we shouldn't be changing. We should be evolving like that house. So like that example in the Lorton house, my perspectives can always evolve and they should. They should be better. But who I am in essence shouldn't be changing. Just like that Lorton house, whenever the carpets were being removed, whenever new paints were coming in, whenever the balcony was being upgraded, the house was its house. The same way as I live and experience new things in my life, who I am in essence, my true identity should never change. But when I compare myself to that 10-year-old self, that innocent person, and my attitudes, my actions, and my perspectives have ultimately completely altered, then it's a problem. And I maintain that this type of transformation, both the evolution, which is good, and the alteration, the ultimate change that we talked about, begins when we go away to college. And it's problematic, it's an issue. And once our true identity changes, I think we begin to have problems in our faith as well. Because God is the one who created us to be pure and innocent. And, and, and once we get away from that, we lose ourselves. And in the process, we begin to lose God and we begin to lose our church. And that's what I found happened to me when I went to college. And I knew that I had to come back to the church and find myself again. And I believe it is our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. When we go back to him, he will make us new and restore us to what we are supposed to be. What we are supposed to be. I'm going to stop here for today. And like I said, I want to take my time with the preface. Because there's a lot of important things that I want to bring up. Because it's going to set us up for the rest of the book. And hopefully you're enjoying this podcast. And stay tuned. And if you have other questions, please feel free to message me and then we can talk about other issues that you guys want to want to talk about. Please, please, please leave comments in the comment section in Amazon to let me know what you actually think about the book. Thanks for listening. Hopefully you have a great day. Hope you have a blessed day. Enjoy life. Make sure you take time from your day to praise God for giving us this day to do what we were meant to do. God bless, and hopefully we'll talk again. Until next time.